0: Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. may be seated. Next week is the last Sunday of the church year. As we end the church year, our focus now shifts toward the end times. That time when our Lord Jesus Christ will appear in glory to judge the living and the dead. That time of the resurrection of all flesh. As disciples of Christ, it will for us be a time of joy because our Lord is coming back for us. He is our shepherd. He loves us. He laid down his life for us and he will usher us into his eternal kingdom. Repeatedly, Jesus teaches us to be ready for his return. He tells us that He will come at a time when many are not expecting him. We are, as we confess in the creed, to look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. We are to be ready through continually hearing the Lord's saving and life-giving word and going to the Lord's altar to receive the body and blood of Christ for the strengthening of our faith and for the forgiveness of our sins, to be doing this frequently. And in today's gospel, Jesus teaches us another way in which we are to be ready so that we are not thrown into the eternal prison of hell, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Our God is a God of mercy, and love. He does not want us to end up in hell for our many sins as we deserve. But it is written, God our Savior desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. The salvation which is earned by our Lord Jesus Christ is given freely by grace through faith in Christ. This faith is worked by God the Holy Spirit through his word. Jesus paid for all our sins, and through him, we are now reconciled to God our Father in heaven. There really is nothing finer in this life than this forgiveness of sins. We can think of all the niceties of life and all the fine things that people may enjoy. But what is greater than this forgiveness? And then, there is nothing worse than sin itself. If you think about it, all of the evils of life, all the tragedies, all the sorrows, all the hardships, all the division among people, these are all a result of sin. There were no life-killing storms in the Garden of Eden. There were no diseases that affected people. There were no divisions among the people in the Garden of Eden, there was no death, because all was perfect and all was good. We look forward to the return of our Lord Jesus Christ so that that type of life will be restored and granted to us. But when Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit, sin then entered the world. And now there is evil all around us. There's even evil in our own hearts. We really have to get past that notion of passing the blame on to everything else and everybody else, making that weak claim, the devil made me do it, as Eve said, which did not work. After all, Jesus declared in Mark 7, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. This is what Jesus declares, that these Sins come from within, and they are separating us from our holy God. They put us in opposition to God's will. These sins, they pollute us. They callous our consciences and put us at enmity with God. When Jesus went to the cross, he paid for all of these sins. And so he is the mediator who gave himself in love as the ransom payment to atone our sin, to wash those sins away so that we are now forgiven by by faith in Christ. And where there is forgiveness of sins, there is also life and salvation. Can you think of anything finer than this forgiveness? For no amount of fame or fortune can match this blessing that we have in Christ. There is no greater blessing than to receive this free and full pardon of our sin through God's mercy in Christ. When we have this forgiveness, we have peace with God. Our consciences are comforted. We now have a holy joy in believing. We have fellowship with our holy God. He declares us to be his children. We are redeemed, we stand acquitted before our Lord, justified, and eternal salvation abides in us. When we have this forgiveness, we walk in the newness of life, and the gates of paradise are now open to us. Being recipients of these blessings, Christians then are merciful, they are kind, they are forgiving. They are filled with love toward their neighbors. In today's gospel, Saint Peter figured that he was exhibiting these characteristics of a Christian. He was obviously more than willing to forgive his neighbors who had sinned against him. He thought he was being very patient and very forgi- and very forgiving when he suggested that seven time forgiving his neighbor seven times was enough times for those who have sinned against him and but Jesus replied saying not seven times but 70 times 7 what Jesus means is we don't count the number of times that we forgive someone before we feel that we're entitled to stop instead we keep on forgiving this forgiveness never ends just as Christ's forgiveness to us never ends there's no limit to the love of our lord there's no limit to the forgiveness of sins that Jesus earned on the cross and this is comforting for us because it means that Jesus has already paid for the sins of the chief of sinners which is something that Paul described of him of himself but it's also a title that we can call ourselves when we are honest with ourselves in how much we sin and how far we have fallen short of the glory of God. To further illustrate how forgiving we are to be, Jesus taught by way of a parable. In this parable, Jesus is teaching us to be ready for the great day of judgment, that we would be humble, honest, and thankful children of God. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wants to settle accounts with his various servants. And there's one servant who owes his master 10,000 talents. A talent is a huge amount of money. Uh, It's believed that these 10,000 talents, according to one count, would be worth 200,000 years' worth of labor. So an ordinary day's wage It would have taken him 200,000 years to pay off this debt. Of course, it would be impossible to rack up a debt like that, but that's not Jesus' point. He's talking about our own sin. And what we have racked up is a debt that we cannot pay. It is an enormous amount of debt, one that we simply cannot pay off. And so the servant goes to his master, and the servant makes a request At first, he appears to be humble. He falls down before the king and asks him to have patience. So far, so good. We, too, plead with God so that he does not punish us in in his wrath. As the service begins, we humbly admit our sin. We confess that we have sinned in thought, word, and deed. We confess that our sins which we have committed are our own our our fault, our own fault, our own most grievous fault. But what the servant says next is wrong. He offers to pay his master back. While perhaps he may have been well-intended, thinking that this is something that he could possibly do, this was nothing short of a lie. It was an empty promise and a feeble attempt to get his master to let him off the hook or maybe so that he could just simply flee, run away, and become free of it that way. He can't pay the debt debt back, nor is escape possible. In the same way, we cannot shrug off the debt of our sin, nor can we run away from God, nor can we comfort ourselves by trying to make a pact with God in an an attempt to resolve to do better. For God's wrath is not appeased by our empty promises and vain attempts to make ourselves look good. Instead, the wrath of God was consumed by Christ when he went to the cross, suffering and bearing the burden of every last sin that we have committed, all sins of omission, and even the sin that we have inherited. Jesus humbly accepted the burden of our sin and rendered completely that payment which we could not pay. God humbles us by teaching us that we cannot do anything to contribute toward our salvation. He wants us to be humble so that we do not try to justify ourselves or so that we do not try to find other ways out of our sin apart from the forgiveness of sins and so that we do not make promises with God that we cannot keep. When God humbles him, us, then we begin to be honest. We don't excuse our sin, but instead we humbly confess our sin. We acknowledge that God is always right. His word does not err, and he never fails us. We want God to teach us his truths, especially so that we can confidently trust in Christ Jesus, who atoned for all our sins and trespasses. Shockingly, in this parable, the Master graciously forgives the entire debt. And that is what Jesus has done for us through his vicarious atonement. The servant should have been thankful beyond measure, canceling out any debts that were, ne- that were owed to him. But instead, what does a servant do? He finds a fellow servant, one who owes him, in comparison, a very tiny amount, a hundred denarii, which is worth about a hundred days' worth of wages. And this man, who had just had his debt forgiven, cannot bring himself around to forgiving his neighbor's debt he demands that payment be made and that this debtor be thrown into prison until he pays the last penny it's crazy for this servant to react to his master's mercy in this way it's hard to come up with a more thankless way but sadly we find ourselves doing this for far more often than we would probably want to admit And so we must be on guard so that the Lord does not return for judgment when we would be harboring resentment or anger or grudges. Instead, we should be thankful for this forgiveness that we have now through our Savior Jesus. And since Christ has canceled out that enormous debt of ours, we also look at those who are around us as brothers and sisters in Christ, whose debt has also been canceled out. The small amount that our neighbor has done against us pales in comparison to what we have sinned against our own own God. And therefore, if God forgives us, we respond in thanksgiving by forgiving our neighbors. We are sympathetic toward them. We love them. We reconcile with them. We be helpful toward them. Let there not be vengeance or malice or slander or any other evil common to man against those who have sinned against us. Let us not dig up things that have happened in the past against us, but instead let us forgive Let's let love cover a multitude of sins. Let's, let, let's not call judgment down upon us by, for, by refusing to forgive our neighbors. Seriously, what sin out there has been committed against you that cannot be forgiven? Christ paid for it. He can count that person to be a saint. Therefore, so can you. When the master finds out that the servant would not forgive the debt of his fellow servant, the master was justly angry and he righteously threw him into prison forever. This penalty certainly fit the crime and Jesus here is teaching how fatal it is to be unforgiving. The unmerciful heart is unfit to receive the mercy of God. Let us not bring judgment upon ourselves by refusing to forgive, But remember what Jesus taught us to pray. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. If you have troubles with forgiving, confess your sin to God. Go to the one whom you are struggling to forgive and talk to him about it. Pray about it. Search the scriptures. Meet with your pastors so that your sins may be washed away and that you may walk in the newness of life. I heard an account once of a man in Africa who went to the communion rail and then he realized the man who was right next to him at the communion rail had once been a headhunter who had killed his father. Not wanting to commune next to this former murderer, he went back to his seat. But then he realized that he was wrong. That man who had killed his father is forgiven. Jesus paid for that sin, and therefore he too must be forgiving. And he too must rejoice that that murderer has repented and turned from his sinful ways. They cannot turn back the clock and undo what had happened in the past, but they do need to live in the present, which would include no bitterness or anger. And so the man returned to his spot at the communion rail, and he communed next to the man who had murdered his father. This is the same kind of forgiveness that God expects us to have. It is the forgiveness of Christ who said of those crucifying him, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. St. Peter declared, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded. It is here also that St. Peter then teaches us that love covers a multitude of sins. So let's live each day as if it could be our last, forgiving and reconciling with our brothers and sisters in Christ, And basking in the word of forgiveness, basking in Christ's holy word and the forgiveness of sins. Trusting that Christ will release us of all of our sin, for he has already done so. And looking forward to the last day with the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting.